So let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, <clears throat> we believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit was, was, is, and always will be active as we read the Bible. Because we don't want to just read information. We want to read words of life. And uh, so as we look into the Bible today, would you open our eyes, open our ears, and help us to see, hear, understand, and then act on what you want us to do so we can become kind of people that are full of the life and the power that come from God. That's what you said. We can become full of the life and power that come from God. And we ask this on your name. Amen. So, uh, word of the day is ancestor. Everybody has a story. So, in uh, 1657, there was a guy named Michael, married a woman named Susanna. They had a son named Hans, who had a son named Urs, U-R-S. I have no idea where that name comes Urs had another son named Urs. That Urs had another son named Urs, 1766. Had a son named Jacob. Had a son named Jacob, 1834, was born, married a woman named Barbara. That Jacob had a son named John, who married a woman named Alan. John named Benhart, married a woman named Ada. Benhart and Ada had a son named Jack, who married a woman named Barbara. Jack and Barbara had five sons, and one of them was Matt. All right. Now that's my part of my genealogy. All right. I, I know for some reason people in my family have really kept track of that. Um, Michael actually was in Michael actually had on his barn, written on the roof of his barn in German, but I'll say it in English, uh, the blessing of the Most High God abides in this house. Praise God only and none other. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a recipient of some real positive descendant uh, blessing in a sense. But, you know, this, to some degree, this ancestry means nothing to you, and it wouldn't mean anything to me except it's my ancestry, right? You, you get on, you, you know, you read stuff, you read genealogies, it's kind of like blah de blah blah de blah Charlie Brown's teacher, wah-wah-wah, but then you realize, oh, this is a... Then you find out it's about you, then you, then you start taking interest in the th- people and the things, and... Like I said, there were three guys named Urs, U-R-U-R-S. We never considered that for one of the names of our kids, by the way. It was like, who would name this? I don't know. There must have been a common name then. And, but I know there's probably people in this list. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's at least one in this list that uh, had children before they were married. I mean, they're not all rose-colored Christian people, um, just like your story probably isn't and my story isn't, right? But, you know, so ancestries matter, but they matter more when it's yours, right? So we're going to actually start in Matthew today. We're going to, the yellow sheet you have is, starts off in Matthew 1, and it's the ancestry of Jesus. And let me talk about first, this is the, this is the series, it's called Follow Jesus, There's No One Like Him. So uh, it's the Gospel of Matthew, and you might remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about Matthew was a tax collector, which was a despised class of people would have been least likely to follow Jesus if you had to vote. But yet, uh, he ends up following. Jesus calls him, follows Jesus. Um, again, he's a least likely person to follow Jesus. Not sure exactly, but most people think 20 or 30 years later, he wrote down the Gospel of Matthew because he wanted to make sure people knew an accurate recording of what life following Jesus was like and who was this guy, Jesus, and why there's no one like him. 
So if Matthew, and also Matthew is a tax collector, so the assumption is he was very good with details and numbers. So one of the things that's true about the book of Matthew, he's very good with details and numbers and th- taking care of stuff. So the start, of the start of the book, he starts off with the genealogy of Jesus. And I printed up in here big. I didn't, I didn't use yellow, but yours is yellow. But I'm going to have you, I want you get your red, the red pen out. We're going to mark some stuff on this, all right? Because the genealogy at first is kind of like, if you read the genealogies in the Old Testament or the New Testament, um, even Jesus' genealogy, it's kind of like, we, you spin through that because like I don't know what's going on here, all right? So, um, but again, the, for, we have to ask the question, why did Matthew include this in there? I mean, why? And why all the detail? All right. So the first part, uh, read that first part with me from yell, the very first verse. All right, out loud, here we go. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. All right. So Matthew's writing this, uh, in this case, he's writing this mostly to Jews, religious people who... And 20 or 30 years later, there wasn't like videotapes of Jesus teaching or things like that. So he's wanting to help people understand because people may be asking, why Jesus? Why not somebody else? And he's like, well, it starts off by saying they're a descendant of David and Abraham. All right. And he goes through all these names. All right. Um, and we're not going to, I'm not going to go through them all and read them all. But I want you to draw a couple lines. All right. Right above. Uh, Jesse was the father of King David. Draw a red line, like right here. All right? And then down here, right above verse 12, after the Babylonian exile, right above that, draw another line. All right? And then uh, after Mary gave birth to Jesus the Messiah, who was called the Messiah, draw another line. So for whatever reason... And there's debate on why Matthew did it this way. But he did this in groups of 14. So if you would write a 14 here, that's 14 generations, 14 generations here, and then 14 here. And Matthew even says, all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David. All right. So this first one is the Abraham to David. So you, you kind of get a good sense of even uh, Jewish history. Okay. Jewish history starts with Abraham. Of course, we start with Adam and Eve, but in terms of Abraham being the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham all the way to David, it's probably about, um, started maybe in the, I don't know, 1400 B.C. to about 900 B.C., but that's a big chunk of Old Testament history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, blah, 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 blah. I'm not blah, blahing. I'm not saying it's not important, but you know what I mean. And then all of a sudden, we're at now... They started, Adam was, Abraham was a wanderer, they were in the promised land, now David's the king. And that was the highlight of, of Jewish history, the highlight of the, of the history of Israel, at least, in terms of prosperity and flourishing, all right? Fourteen generations, and then all of a sudden, 597 B.C., they're in exile. The Jewish people weren't following God, they weren't, they weren't obeying him, and God allows them to be smashed by the Babylonians, and they're sent into exile. So for 600 years, or many years, they're not in their homeland anymore. They eventually come back somewhere in this time, but it's still not quite the same. But uh, again, you can even see Matthew, he's a numbers guy for some reason, 
And they said there might, might be a poetic reason, there might be certain other reasons, because he actually skipped some, gen, he actually skipped some n- names, but he included what he thought were 14 important generations. So it's not, he doesn't include everybody in there, but you're still kind of thinking, I'm, I was thinking, you know, why, why 14? And, but he's very systematic, but he's systematic because he wants us to understand, okay, this, all those listed above include 14 generations, and... Jesus, who's called the plan. And he, granted, this is, this is also, he does the, the genealogy, and it ends up with Joseph. And we, of course, we know Joseph isn't the biological father of Jesus, but he's the legal father of Jesus, and the Jewish nature that was important. But Matthew's trying to help people understand, okay, Jesus, Jesus has this human story. He has a human story. And it starts with a guy named Abraham, which for Jewish people is all really important because that was their expectation. But it also goes through the line of King David, which was really important for Jewish people because this, the Messiah is supposed to be a king. So he's trying to help people understand there's something unique about the human story of Jesus. So it's almost like some might, we might call it today like an apologetic. He's trying to make an argument, okay, Jesus historically was a real person. He has a real story. So he's not just a made-up thing. Um, even then, 20 or 30 years after the death of Jesus, people, there was no evidence. I mean, they, had, they wanted evidence. Who is this guy? So this first part was just his way of helping people see the story of Jesus. Now, here I'm going to have you circle four names because this is interesting too. There's four women mentioned in this uh, genealogy. They're all fathers, but there's, like right here in verse 3, you have this. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, circle Tamar. I don't know what you know about Tamar, but she got pregnant via her father-in-law, Judah. All right? So Tamar's not like an outstanding character to include in a genealogy. All right? She, had, she was basically dressed up like a prostitute because she was trying to trick her father-in-law she ended up tricking him, having sex with him, and getting pregnant. All right. Now I want you to uh, Rahab, verse 5. Circle Rahab. Rahab, you know, was what? What was her occupation? She was a prostitute in Jericho. All right. So now Jesus' human stories look a little, looking a little dirty. Normal, maybe. Ordinary. All right. Um, right here, next verse down. Ruth. Incidentally. All three of these women are foreigners. None of them are Jewish. None of them were. Ruth has a relatively normal story. There's some things that happen in her story that kind of make you wonder what's she doing? It's, it's questionable, but I'll put it at best. All right? And then, last one, we'll circle. The last woman mentioned is Bathsheba, who she's the one that David lusted after, after had, her wife, had her husband killed in battle. Uh, slept with Bathsheba, had a son named Solomon, all right? So Matthew, very detailed, very intentional, includes four women that are all foreigners and all have questionable stories. Why? Well, he didn't whitewash the story of Jesus, did he? Jesus has a very human story, just like you and I have human stories, None of our stories are whitewashed. Maybe he was setting people to under, up to understand 
Okay, this woman's having a baby and she hasn't had sex. She says she's a virgin. That's questionable. I mean, he's, he's maybe setting up people to understand, okay, there's, even the birth of Jesus has question marks around it. But very human story. Our stories have question marks around it, all right? So that's the first part, just the kind of Jesus has a human story. He was real, and the human story isn't clean. I, I won't, I won't, we won't go through all these names, but some of these names in here were scoundrels. Some of these guys in here were scoundrels. Kings didn't, you know, dishonored God, did immoral things. So his, his lineage is not religiously clean. Um, so now, that's the first part. But now we go to the second part of the first chapter. And now we just, he just, so this is who Jesus, this is human story. Then I'm just going to read this from here and you can follow on your yellow. But this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Now, you'll notice he, John, Matthew mentions the Messiah. He does it up here. Jesus the Messiah. Because he wants people to, he, he is the one. He's the one. All right. He's the anointed one. This is how the Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant, underlined through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? Because now we've gone from the human story, now it's a supernatural story. Okay? He's got a human story. He's a, he's a son of Abraham. He's a son of David. He's an heir to the kingdom. Historically, he is the right person. All right? But now it's like, now there's a supernatural part of the story. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary becomes pregnant. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. I'm probably standing in your way, Mike, or uh, Calves, yeah. Joseph is, uh, was a good man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. Underline that, too. It's another supernatural event appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. All right. Another underline, conceived by the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. This word fulfill, I'm just going to circle it like a bunch of times, however you want to do it. That's a big word to Matthew. Everything in the book of Matthew, he's showing that it fulfills it's, this was where it was supposed to come from. It's fulfillment. Fulfill the words of the prophet. And Matthew does a lot, we'll see this in the book of Matthew, there's a lot of quoting from the Old Testament. Even though he was a scoundrel tax collector in his youth, um, he knew the Old Testament well. And it says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means uh, God is with us. When Joseph took up Woke up, he did as the angel said, took Mary as his wife, didn't have sexual relations with her, had a son named him Jesus. Now, I'm not going to draw it in here. I wish I had a really fat pen, but go to the next slide. If I had a really fat pen, that's what I'd do. I'd point, and I'll, I'll do it anyway. I'd point to this verse right here. And you remember those, you know those progressive uh, insurance commercials? They have those arrows. You know, the people are at the arrows, and they're trying to tell you to go to this store or that store, and they're outside. Um... I was going to try to get one of those because I thought Matthew is obsessed with taking this big arrow that he's spinning on the corner and he's pointing it always to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus all the time. 
So if you can imagine Matthew on the street corner of Jerusalem with one of these big arrows, he's spinning around, wanting you, he's always going to say, he's always going to point to this. He's Emmanuel, he's God with us. He's the one, he's the Messiah. He is who you've always hoped for and expected. That's what he's wanting people to see. He's a, and, and Matthew, being a numbers guy, we could even say he's probably obsessed with that. He's obsessed with people seeing Jesus, not just religious figure Jesus, but Jesus, an historical figure who, who has this human story that fits all the expectations of the Jewish people, but he also has this supernatural story that fulfills all the hopes that he's somebody that's going to turn the world back right side up again. All right? So this is, this is Matthew chapter 1. This is, this is uh, what Matthew's wanted to see, but here's my primary point. Go to the, first, the next slide there. Jesus fulfills all the expectations and hopes of your own story. We have expectations. I mean, I have expectations of what I think Jesus should be doing in my life. I have hopes of what Jesus should be doing in my life. And sometimes I need to be reminded that he's the one. I, my expectations and my hopes sometimes might be disordered, but for the most part, our expectations and hopes, if they come from our heart, if they come from the core of our desires, they're probably from God, and it tells us, okay, this, he is God with us. And maybe that's the whole answer to expectations and hopes. Even when we were singing the song, I need you, Lord, I need you, and praying for Aaron and Sadie and Knox and praying for ourselves, the, the fulfillment of our expectation and hopes really is we want God to be with us. We want to know he's involved in our lives. We want to know he cares about our lives. He knows our, he knows, we want, to, we, we want to know that he knows our story, but he can also intervene supernaturally. We want to know that. So, so every expectation and hope you have of Jesus, and I, I don't know what all of you are going through. I know some of you have had some bumpy roads lately, and all of us will have bumpy roads. But like I said, if I had this huge red arrow, I'd point at the passage where he just says, they're going to call him Emmanuel. It means God with us. So right from the get-go, Matthew's shaping this expectation of people is, this is the one you've all been waiting for. He's the one. I mean, think about, think about how we all wait for, uh, you know, sports world. We wait for the we wait for a quarterback who will finally replace Peyton Manning and be a great quarterback. Or we wait for a coach that finally will bring IU back to greatness, uh, whatever. But we have these expectations. We, we, we're waiting for those things. Those may be kind of shallow examples, but here's the example I think is most meaningful for me. I don't know if you've, how many, most of you are at least aware of the musical or the movie Les Miserables in the, in the, the key figure in the story, in the musical, the movie, whatever, the guy named Jean Valjean, who just had a, a messy life. He was, in, he was in prison for stealing a loaf of bread and convict and just shame and awful stuff. But then as the story goes on, it turns into a story of redemption where all of a sudden he remakes his life and he becomes a source of life to others. He's not only the hero, he's almost like a Christ figure. He, he's involved in the redemption of other people's lives and restores things back. And he's just like, 
then at the end of the movie, he's like the hero. He's the man, right? So I was watching one time a video of, it was like the, I don't know, 25th anniversary of the opening of Les Miserables in London. And so they had, there was this big venue, and they had all these famous men who had played Jean Valjean in Broadway-like productions. It was not just in the U.S. They had, they had the guy who was the most famous Jean Valjean who played in English theater. They had a Japanese guy. They had French. They had, and then all these, they must have had like 20 of them, 20 guys who had played Jean Valjean. And they were all in their suits, or not suits, tuxes, and these were like the most famous of the actors. And they were singing and had some song playing in the background. Think of Emmy, Emmys or those kind of awards. And they were playing one of the songs from Les Mis, one of these real kind of moving songs. And all 20 of these, all 20 of these guys who played Jean Valjean were progressing down the aisle to the front. And the crowd was going wild. I, I was watching this actually on my computer in the back of a plane flying somewhere. But the crowd was going wild for these men. And I, and I, I got kind of teary-eyed watching it because I thought, they're, they're not cheering for these men. They're not even cheering for Jean Valjean. They're cheering. They don't know it, but they're cheering for Jesus because Jean Valjean points them to Jesus. Because I thought, why else, why else all this emotion yeah, they were great singers, and they were great, they prayed, and the story's a great story, but these are just men who were actors. And so I, even I think, about, I think about the world we live in, friends you know and I know, maybe people you put on your card who don't know Jesus, they're hungry, they're hungry for Jesus. Those people were cheering for Jean Valjean, and I remember I thought to myself, they are cheering for Jesus, they just don't know it. Because they're cheering for somebody who's going to turn the world back up, right side up again. They're cheering for somebody who's with us, who brings power, who's the anointed one, who's going to be the one we can all honor and worship. He's going to be the son of David. He's going to be sit on the throne. He's going to make everything right again. He's the one we've all been waiting for. So, you know, whatever's happening, two, two applications there, whatever happening in your life, or however you process things in your life, especially difficult stuff. Um, at the ground, grounding of it all, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for because he's always with you. He's, he's, he, will never, he will never abandon you with what you're going through. But secondly, as you think about people you know that don't know Jesus, maybe people you're praying for, or, I mean, this, everybody's hungry for this guy. They just don't know it. They're hungry for somebody that's going to give them meaning, redemption, victory, life. I mean, we, you know, the sports world is a good analogy of this. We tend to, we tend to live our lives to the stories of great athletes or great teams because they give us meaning and life and victory. And that's not bad, but that's really a shadow of what God wants to do in our lives. So think about the way we treat athletes or musicians on stage or rock stars or whatever. Um, we're putting on them the hope that they can make my life better. But that desire, that expectation, hope, really, it's a, those people are just shadows. Because what it really is stirring in us, a desire to say, Jesus, you're the one. You're the only one who can do this for me. 
You know, even that opening, the opening psalm we read or from Isaiah, where he's the one who's going to bring, bring justice to the nations. He's going he's to be the one who's going uh, to treat those who are broken with kindness. He's not going to break anybody. He's gonna, and so it's like the whole, again, if I had this huge arrow, I'd put it right here. It's like, that's what Matthew wants people to see. Jesus, follow Jesus. Not follow him as this religious figure, this icon that you can just uh, stamp on your whatever and say, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I said, I said this before, I don't, I don't tell people anymore as much I'm a Christian. I tell them I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Actually, I told one person I'm an avid follower of Jesus. Because I'm not just a Christian, because in, in our country, that, who knows what that means anymore. That just means you're not Buddhist, I guess. I don't know. But I'm a follower of Jesus because there's no one like him. That's what I actually have. I didn't get this out yet. I don't know that I will, but I have thoughts in my mind that you might see me on the streets of Bloomington with this. I don't know yet. All right? There's no one like him. I guess if I did it with a hood on and with a mask on, nobody knew who I was anyway. But I just, if you see this, it's me. All right? I'm just saying. But I'm going to have this here every week. And on the back, I have this too. Jesus is for everyone. Because even the Gospel of Matthew is uh, Jesus is for everybody. He's not just for perfect religious people. He's for broken people like Matthew. He's for uh, people who have unsavory backgrounds. So um, let me pray, and then we'll uh, take communion. So Jesus, uh, you're not only the one we've all been waiting for, but you're the one that we will continually wait for and expect and, and hope and expectation to see you show up in our lives in ways we've never imagined, always hoped, but never imagined you would do. So Jesus, would you, would you stir in us a hunger? Um, if your promise is that you're going to be with us, God with us, would you stir in us a hunger that we're going to be committed to follow you and uh, that you're promised to be with us and you know our story, but you also have supernatural power to bring change and joy and peace into our lives in ways that nothing else can do. Um, we adore you. We love you. Uh, we worship you. Um, we cheer for you in a way that we don't even understand what that really means. But we cheer for you in a way that you are the hero, capital T, capital H. And we love you. Um, help us to follow you with all of our passion. In Christ's name, amen.